tribes. I'm not Israel. I'm John Stance. I'm, as it was mentioned already, I, I work with the 50 plus and with a small group and a number of other things. And uh, just one of the lay people here, uh, though I have been a pastor in the past. I'm uh, just glad to uh, and excited actually to share with you uh, this portion of God's Word today because it uh, talks about one of my most favorite things to talk about. One of the most famous things that happens whenever God's Word is spoken, whenever people talk about what God is doing, whenever the Bible is preached, what happens to that is the most fun thing, I think, to talk about. Not that the message of salvation isn't fun, it is, you know. It's exciting news. It's the news that we looked at last week in, in the book of Acts, in chapter 13, where the Apostle Paul preaches and is recorded, I should say, uh, to uh, preach to his first recorded uh, sermon. And what the response was to that sermon, as well as what the response is to other things that he says in, in another town after that is what we're going to be looking at this morning. And I think what you're going to find is that it's a surprising thing. Though many times we kind of get used to surprises, don't we? To the point where when God surprises us, sometimes we miss the intent of that surprise. That is the intent to wake us up. To get the intent to make us realize that God is truly alive and in this world today working not just in our lives but in the lives of many other people too. I don't know about you, but I like surprises a lot and not everybody always does. Remember one time my wife planned a surprise birthday party for me. I'd never had one before. And uh, I was, uh, I, I have also served as a chaplain in in the military for 20 years, and I was driving home one, one day from military duty, uh, and I was kind of commiserating in myself because uh, most days when I served in the military, uh, it was when my birthday was happening. So I tended to be, have to be serving when my birthday's going on instead of having a birthday party. And so I was kind of driving home, commiserating, going, oh, man, I, I, I wish... You know, someday I might be able to have a birthday party. And, you know, it'd be kind of cool if I had a surprise birthday party even and the like. And I, and I walk in, and I'm so dumbfounded that I am so much in shock that my wife had done this and had a whole mess of friends there and people from the church that I was in at the time. And, and so, so dumbfounded that and so much in shock that people thought I was mad. No, I just didn't know what to do because... I was saying, God, oh, I wish you would do this sometime for me. And I'd walk in and, what? He did it. That's weird. God has promised to do so many things and says that he is about doing so many things. And when he does it, doesn't it surprise us sometimes? The Bible's full of surprises, actually. Our lives are full of surprises. The problem is, is those surprises so often become kind of everyday because we read about them and we read through them and, and we've read them so often that we kind of brush over them. Miss the impact that they really should have. So I'm hoping to keep you from missing the impact of what Acts chapter 13 
is meant to have with us. Well, let's look at Acts chapter 13, verse 42 through chapter 14, verse 6. It's an account of the surprising effects of Paul's first recorded sermon in the Bible and what he did about it. It's full of surprises. So if you'll read along with me as I read. And yes, I have to get my glasses on. I'm getting older. Verse 42, it says, As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord was commanded, has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Look with me, if you will, first at verse 42, 43 and 44. It says there, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. Their hearts were yearning. They were wanting to know more about what Paul and Barnabas were saying. In fact, it goes on to say that they urged them to continue in the grace of God. They saw that it was all part of God's grace, God's goodness. They didn't deserve it. That's what grace is. You don't deserve it, but God gives it anyway. But God was giving his salvation, not just to the Jews, but to all men. And that was exciting news for them, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles who were there trying to find God in Judaism. And verse 44 says, The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered together to hear the word of the Lord. Isn't that surprising? The whole city? You know, what would happen if all of Horsham was to come out here next Sunday or try to get in here next Sunday, wanting to hear God's word preached? What would happen? I imagine a lot of what happened to Paul, too, said, oh, man, I don't know what to do with this. But we'll do what we do. We'll share Christ and what he's about. But imagine the whole town of Horsham being out here. God surprised 
Paul and Barnabas with that. They expected to find people that would be believing in Jesus Christ in the synagogue, people who were seeking God, especially the Jews who supposedly had known and been seeking God for so many centuries and so many years. But they were amazed that almost the whole town hearing about this came out. But it's easy to think, isn't it? Times are different now. That was then and this is now. God does not surprise us like this now, does he? And yet he does. You may not know about it. You may not have heard about it because what is the first thing the world tries to do when God moves? It tries to prevent it. And if he moves anyway, what does the world try to do? It tries to make sure you don't hear about it. And yet with the internet today, they can't get, keep the word out. They can't keep history hidden as they have in the past. Let me surprise you with some modern history. Oh, let's start a little ways back. Let's start in 1850. In the 1850s, there was a man by the name of Jeremiah Lamphere. He decided to have a prayer meeting. Now, prayer meetings weren't things that you had all the time. In that day and age, people were more private, more individual. You'd talk and pray together individually, but you wouldn't necessarily do that as a meeting. So he publicized he was going to have this, and uh, at the first prayer meeting, he had six people show up. And the next week, he continued to publicize it, and he had 14 people show up. The next week, he had 23 people show up. And then all of a sudden, people started coming. People started coming until it filled the Dutch Reformed Church. And then it filled the Methodist Church at St. John Street. Then every public building, now get this, in New York City for prayer. Horace Greeley heard about this, a famous reporter of the time, and he sent out one of his sub-reporters, one of his people to, to travel around by horse and to see how many people were really getting together for prayer in all these public buildings in New York City. In one hour, he could only get to 12 meetings. He's, of course, riding a horse. And he counted 6,100 people in those 12 meetings. What was reported after that was that 10,000 a week began to be converted. It spread throughout New, York, New England so that at 8 o'clock in the morning, at 12 o'clock at noon, and 6 p.m. every single day for 40 years, the church bells would chime and people would be called to prayer in every public meeting, uh, public meeting house in New York City. In one year, it was reported that more than one million conversions happened. When Jesus said, greater things than these, what he was doing, will you do, he meant it. A million people in one year being converted 
So much so that in 1905, the ministers in Atlantic City stated that out of 50,000 citizens, they knew of only 50 adults that were unconverted. In Portland, Oregon, yes, it spread around the country. In Portland, Oregon, 240 stores closed from 12 until 2 for prayer. And they all signed a contract amongst each other so they wouldn't cheat and stay open. Let me read for you one of the newspaper articles from the Denver Post that was published in that time. It says, For two hours at midday, all of Denver was held in a spell. The marts of trade were deserted between noon and two o'clock this afternoon, and all worldly affairs were forgotten, and the entire city was given over to meditation to higher things. The Spirit of the Almighty pervaded every nook. Going to and coming from the great meetings, the thousands of men and women radiated this, this Spirit with which filled them, and the clear Colorado sunshine was made brighter by the reflected glow of the light of God shining from their happy faces. Seldom has such a remarkable sight been witnessed. An entire great city in the middle of a busy weekday bowing before the throne of heaven and asking and receiving the blessing of the king of the universe. Surprised? Anybody know about that? You can Google it. You can read it in the book, The Rebirth of America by the DeMoss Foundation. Let's come a little bit closer to us. 1970, Ashbury College, Kentucky. It was a Christian college. It was time for chapel. You weren't required to go to chapel. So, you know, you'd have a good group of people out there, 1,500-seat uh, uh, auditorium, but not all the seats were filled, of course. That morning, the speaker did not, give a t did, did not uh, speak about a uh, passage in the Scriptures. He just gave his testimony about what God had done in his life. And then he offered the microphone to anybody who wanted to come up and give their testimony. And an individual got up and came up and gave their testimony about how they had asked Christ into their life when they realized that they were sinners and that God was offering salvation and forgiveness of their sins and a new life and an eternal life also, an eternal life that began here on this earth as soon as we asked Christ into our life. A new relationship with God. Another one came up his testimony and somebody got up and they came up and they shared their testimony and then they said they had to confess something and they started to confess that they had been cheating on some exams and the teacher got up and, and was in line and came up and talked about how he had downgraded somebody and asked the, for the student's forgiveness for downgrading him because he didn't like that student 
Another person got up, and another person got up, and all of a sudden there was a line going out the door waiting to get a chance at the microphone. People sharing their testimonies, people talking and confessing what was going on in their lives and asking for forgiveness. It wasn't like those camp meetings that you hear about or those revivals that you hear about where people are so shouting up and down, so excited about God, they're shouting about God, and they're falling on the floor and all that kind of stuff. In fact, the, re- record, the record of what happened was it was a very quiet meeting, everyone listening intently to who was speaking. And this went on for day and night for 50 days. And it spread to over 130 other colleges around the country. One of them was the college that I went to when I was there, same as now. Surprising, isn't it? When God works. Now let's come a little bit more into today. Let me tell you about the greatest evangelistic service that ever happened. You know what it's called? Desert Storm. Surprising, isn't it? You see, God took 350,000 soldiers, men and women, into the desert. The world thought it was for a war. And yes, there was a war that happened at the end of it. But he took 350,000 men and women over into that desert, didn't allow them to drink because of the Muslim religion. The military said you couldn't drink. Didn't allow them to carouse and walk around with our arms around male and female because of the Muslim religion. Yes, God can use anything. And one in seven became new Christians. How do I know that? Because I was in the military at the time. I was a chaplain in the military at the time. I was helping to support those, uh, those soldiers over there. And over here, things like, you know, businesses were giving us like $100,000 worth of Bible books on tape to send over to the troops because the troops were bored out of their gourds with the tape that they had taken and they, had, they shared with each other because it only took about 30 days to have, a, have, a, to have listened to every single tape that was on the base that they were at. And so I was getting reports back that one in seven were asking Christ into their life. And I thought, wow, that's something. Is this just that one place? Or these couple of places that we were that my military unit was was involved with? And then a bunch of other independent news agencies started using the same terms, one in seven. That mean, means that God took three hundred and fifty thousand men and women, put them in the desert, in the greatest revival and evangelistic service that ever happened, and fifty thousand came back new Christians. 50,000. Surprised? We should be. God wants us to be surprised. He's a surprising God. 
When we start losing our surprise, we start losing the power of God that is at work within us and within this church even today. Oh, let's come up to three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, it was publicized that there are today in China more Christians than members of the Chinese Communist Party. Whoa, is right. Surprising? God is alive and working in this world today. He is doing the same things the Apostle Paul experienced, the same responses because of the response to an almighty God who is real is always one of reaching out and grabbing onto him if you're really looking for him. Because to be honest with you, I don't ask that you believe in Jesus Christ. I ask that you seek God and let him prove himself to you. And you'll find that it's Jesus Christ. Don't believe because I say, don't believe because of what the Bible says. Let God prove himself to you. God is still surprising us in the same way he did in Paul's time. But this positive response to God carries with it other surprises also. Look what it says in verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, this, re- this positive response, they were what? Filled with jealousy. And began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. Reviling him. Putting him down. Saying, you don't know what you're talking about, in other words. You're crazy. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. In other words, God really wanted the Jews to know him. So he made sure that they got the word first about Jesus Christ. Since you thrust it aside, he goes on to say, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And the Gentiles heard this, and what's their response? They began rejoicing, rejoicing and glorifying God, glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Not just because of what God was doing, but also because of what the people who were against what God was doing were doing. What's been the reaction of the modern world to God's salvation? Well, one of the biggest reactions is to not talk about it and to make sure you don't know about it and others don't know about it. How many of you knew about those stories about what happened in New York City, in Denver, 
in Desert Storm or is happening now in China. Not wanting to talk about what God is doing and trying to hide it is what the first reaction is of the world. But when you can't help it because the whole world is gathered together and all the city is gathered together as in Paul's time to hear the word of the Lord, then what do you do? then you have to do like what is happening in China today. I'll show you a picture, a couple of pictures here. One on the left kind of looks like they're putting up a cross, right? No, they're taking it down. This is from China. In the last two years, the Chinese Communist Party has been seeking to tear down all the crosses that have been allowed to be built on churches before that. And the Christians got up in arms about this and protested and had mass rallies, so they pulled back. But in the last, just three weeks ago, they started doing it again, and it started coming out. It was because of the fact that there are more Christians now than members of the Communist Party in China. The one on the right, picture on the right, yeah. That's them burning the cross off the top of the church. Or in the next person picture, not putting it up, taking it down. In fact, churches are being condemned to be destroyed, even though they're some of the most modern and newest and most recently built buildings in China, as the Communist Party is trying to squelch the reality of what God is doing. Google it. You'll be surprised how many articles, how many references in the last two years have been talking about this going on. How many of you knew about that? It's not no fault of yours. It's what the world's trying to do is make sure you don't know about it. Keep you busy about your life so that you're not looking for what God is doing because you don't have time. Look what it says in verse 50 here in Acts chapter 13. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their districts. The persecution that comes from a world that cannot keep God's and what he is doing from being talked about That persecution doesn't just come from scoundrels and people who are not good. It comes from devout people. Here it was devout women of high standing even. And the leading men of the city were being used and stirred up against what God was doing. As is in China today. Man's jealous reaction still brings persecution, even from devout people and leaders. And if we had time, I could go on and talk about even myself and being suspended for three weeks with intent to fire because somebody claimed that I said something that is sort of biblical 
that wasn't politically correct. Even though there were no witnesses, I can't even remember having said it. And I would never have said it if I said it, I never have said it the way they said I said it. And even though they finally knew that they couldn't fire me without getting in a lot of legal problems, they were trying. Or I could tell you about somebody else, though I'm not going to because I don't tell other people's stories except in this general kind of a way. Uh, somebody else who had somebody against them because they were a Christian and they were a witness in their job who went and broke in to the company that they worked for and got on the company's computer system and pretended to be this Christian and cussed and swore and said all sorts of things in a tweet out as if it was from that Christian to try to get them fired. after some time they discovered what happened because God is always for us and never against us. But what was the disciples' reaction here in Acts chapter 13 to this persecution? This verse 52 tells us. It says, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that they enjoy being persecuted. doesn't mean they enjoy being run out of the district. It doesn't mean they enjoyed being reviled and, and contradicted. But in the midst of telling others their story about what Christ had done for them, because I'm sure that's where Paul started. He started with what did Christ do for him? They found joy. For joy is found not just in the knowing Christ as our Savior and having our sins forgiven, but joy is found in the day-to-day -day living of life when we are telling our story and we're willing to keep on telling it in spite of persecution, in spite of people not being sure about us, wondering about us putting us down maybe even sometimes. And it goes on to tell us what happened in the next city. They were driven out from the one area, and look what happens. Chapter 14, verse 1, when they go to Iconium. Now at Iconium, it says, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Again, God moving. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers so that they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some said with the Jews, some sided, I mean, with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews, with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra, Derby, the cities of Lyconia, and the surrounding country. When they found out what was going to happen to them, what was being planned, that they were going to be killed, they went out away from there and did what? Kept on telling their story. That's where the joy is found. 
it isn't so much in the first time you tell your story. You see, the first time you you tell your story about being saved and about what God is doing in your life, how do you feel? Nervous, right? Scared. What's the response going to be like? Am I right? I know that was the way it was for me. I remember Melody and I were uh, doing some door-to-door evangelism, uh, learning how to do it, actually. And one of the things you do is you kind of have to learn a, uh, a way of expressing, uh, memorize a way of expressing what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. We were using the four spiritual laws at the time. Uh, it's, it's a good way of doing it, but there are a lot of other ways, too. And you memorize it for one basic reason. Because you know you're going to be scared. We knocked on this one door, and it was Melody's turn to kind of introduce who we were and what was going on. And she opens the door, and this Doberman gets up on his hind legs face-to-face with her with just a screen between her and the Doberman and starts barking like crazy at her. You know what happened to her? It was right after hello that the Doberman jumped up. She turned into a recording. I mean, everything was said right, but it was like a recording. Because it's scary. Not because necessarily Doberman's going to start barking at you, but even when you're just telling your best friend or maybe a family member for the first time that you've accepted Christ as your Savior. Remember when you did that for the first time? Kind of scary, right? The joy comes in the continuing to share in spite of the fear. You know, we should not be surprised in the world that we live in because God is in our world. We should not be surprised that God still moves in amazing ways. We should not be surprised that man's jealous reaction still brings persecution, even from devout people and leaders. We should not be surprised that there is joy in continuing to tell the story if we continue to tell. For God is surprising us even today, here and now, in our homes, in this church. Do we see it? Are we missing it? For you see, whenever God is at work, it always creates one thing that is spoken about here. The city, it says, was divided between those who were believing and those who were unbelieving. And that division is something that we ourselves can feel within ourselves also. For whenever we hear God's word preached, whenever we hear somebody sharing their testimony or talking about what God is doing in their life, there's always the struggle to believe that it's true. There's a division within us as human beings even, between our old nature and our new nature, between that which wants and knows how real God is and those that part that does not believe, that doesn't want to believe. It only want, and it doesn't want to believe for only one reason. There's only one reason why any part of us doesn't want to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to have have our sins forgiven and have eternal life. And that one reason is 
because that one part of us does not want to be obedient to the God that we find. Why does a person not accept Christ as their Savior? Because they don't want to be obedient to the God that they find. Why do we as believers find ourselves not wanting to believe that New York City shut down for 40 years from noon until 2 and every public building was filled with people praying between noon and 2? Because that part of us doesn't want to be obedient to the God that we would find. There's always a divide that happens. And so, I want you to look within yourself right now. Do you feel a struggle? A divide within yourself right now even? Whether it be the struggle to believe that God really has done these kinds of things in history, or yes, I'm going to believe, but not be surprised by it, not be impacted by it. Or whether you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, and, and God has brought you here this morning, and he's brought you here because he wants you to know Jesus is real. He's the only way to have your sins forgiven. And he died for you to pay the penalty for your sins. And he's worthy to be believed in. Don't believe because I say it. Don't believe because of what the Bible says. Take what I say. Take what the Bible says. Check it out with God himself and ask God to prove himself to you that he really does work in these ways even today and that he does want you to believe in what he is doing. I'm going to have the worship team come up right now. And as they come up and get set up, I just want you to look within yourself as I have a word of prayer. Look within yourself and see if you feel any sort of unsuredness or struggle. To me, that's a good thing. Don't take that as a bad thing. That's a great thing because that's saying God is working on you, that he's real, that he's working within your heart, that he's seeking to move you even closer to him. And just open yourself up to what he wants. Not what I want. Not what your friends want. But what he wants. He wants to surprise us with his power and his working, first within our own lives personally, and then beyond that within our families and within our community and within our nation and within our world. We never want to let go of the surprise of God working because it is not an act of faithlessness to be surprised. It is an act of faith that says you are so much greater God than I could even expect. And then we're going to have a, a few individuals up front here. If you want to this morning even come up after we sing, after your released after the service is over if you want to come up and just pray with someone maybe you're here this morning and, and you're feeling that that tug to ask jesus into your life and and you're doing that and and you want to tell somebody about that and have somebody pray with you about that new walk in christ come up and let us know and let us pray with you or maybe you're a christian and you're struggling with 
something to just let God, let God make you obedient more than you are. We'll be up front to pray with you after the service.